Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and joining me today, as always, is Devendra Hardwar. Put him in a maximum security prison. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm ready to talk like a butterfly and sting like a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show, everyone. Tonight on the podcast. Dave uh, gives his co-host four seconds to come up with an intro. Yeah. yeah I mean, where, where's good. Dave's intro, by the yeah. way? It's it's a good question. It's a good, we'll have to yeah. figure out a way for me to do one. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, anyway, uh, Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, uh, on the Slash Filmcast tonight, we got some what we've been watching, a uh, conversation about WandaVision coming up for you, and then uh, some weekly plugs followed by a review of the wonderful film One Night in Miami uh, featuring Kendra James. Uh, look forward to that conversation. And for the After Dark, we've got some Baccarat talk for you, a conversation about a film that a lot of people will be wanting us to have. So, that's what is on the After Dark, available exclusively over at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. You can find more episodes of the show at uh, slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I want to say right at the top that I'm actually using a different microphone uh, for tonight's episode. The Shure MV7 uh, compared to the Rode Podcaster uh, that I usually use. And uh, if you guys uh, would be open to hearing people's thoughts on it, if you're like, this microphone's great, you keep using this one, let me know. Uh, or if you're like, go back to the other one, I'm also open to that. Sounds good. Um, Sounds good. Well, let me tell you, Dave, uh, are you are you USBing it or XLRing? I'm USBing it. I'm USBing mm, it. Now um, that's disappointing. The, <laughs> I, I will say. <laughs> I will say the reason, one of the reasons I'm doing it, honestly, is for aesthetic purposes. Um, uh, in addition to hoping that the audio quality is better, uh, the Rode Podcaster mic is uh, a white microphone, and uh, I, I make a lot of YouTube videos with that microphone, and I just don't like how it looks on the YouTube videos. <laughs> wow. Because uh, it just sticks and out like a sore thumb. Wow. You want people to yeah. think you have the SM7B without spending... The money for the SM7B. I thought you bought the SM7B. I'm very confused about what's happening with the. I mean, I have the SM7B situation. as well, but I I don't want to go through. <laughs> Basically, it's a lot easier to not use a USB interface to go into the computer. Like I just sure. like plugging straight from. You just the like microphone. looking at the SM7B. You just like like it's there on your shelf. You look at it, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not not looking at it right now. Uh, so I, you just I don't, don't deny. use it. That's what I'm saying. It, and it's a black mic. You could have it would have solved all your problems. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I'm very so, confused uh, right now. Let me know what you think of the new mic. Would love to have opinions, <laughs> uh, whether it sounds better or worse than it usually does. Uh before we get to what we've been watching today, folks, uh I, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that we are recording this right now on the evening of Tuesday, January nineteenth. And as far as we know, <laughs> as far as we know. As far as we know, the, the, the clouds will part, the, sh the sun will shine a little brighter in the morning, the birds will chirp a little louder. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but as far as we know, today is the last day of the Trump administration. Yeah, the last full day. The, there's still the some last hours full tomorrow. Day. Yeah, there's, there's still some hours. You know, so yeah. true, so true. And I guess, you know, we've been doing these weekly check-ins on occasion, and I guess I wanted to check in to see how you're all feeling on this, this evening. Um, there's a story in Washington Post, like basically there's this whole media narrative about how Trump is like grows increasingly more alone and isolated, right? Like that, that has been a trend throughout the last four years. And that was no different today. Washington Post had a piece called Trump's final day 
a diminished and aggrieved president stays out of public view before exit. Uh, and so uh, it, it's kind of ending with a, a, a bit of a whimper, at least on this day, you know, not in the last well, couple of weeks. Yeah, don't tempt it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, so who, by, by the time this episode is released, events may have transpired that make it sound extremely out of date. So caveat there. But sure. that said, I thought I'd check and see what you're feeling on this evening. Devendra Hardwar. Well, you know, I feel uh, I feel vaguely hopeful, mostly because we see we see Biden and Kamala, uh, and Kamala Harris like doing the work of you know of the people who would be leading the country right now already like they they hosted this um memorial for those who've passed away already from covid basically doing everything that this goddamn administration just hasn't done because they didn't give a shit so it is nice to see people who have human emotions and feelings and empathy in charge uh i am hoping it can lead to some actual change um literally anything is better than what we've had for the past four years so all I can be is vaguely hopeful um, and hope that uh, we don't, we, yeah, we don't give up too much control of the Senate, which I, I don't know why, why that's even on the table, but okay. <laughs> After all of the hard work. After of all this. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, how are you feeling tonight? I agree with Devendra. I am, I am hopeful. And I think the one, two punch of this awful human no longer being nearly as relevant. Mm hmm. And also the the second punch being not on Twitter anymore has <laughs> Love made it. my life infinitely better. It is, uh, you know, the, the, this idea that he will no longer actually control anything at all. Uh, I'm sure there will be lots of people eager to hear his hot yeah. takes on things, uh, but it will be so much easier to ignore because he doesn't actually have any real power. Yeah, he, and, He's been the clown from it. For the past four years, right, where he'll just pop up, like he'll he'll get in your brain somehow, like yes. somebody, like, even though I blocked him, like he'll, somebody will retweet or comment or quote tweet oh, or yeah. screenshot him, and like it'll it'll get into your brain and just ruin your day, ruin your week because a madman is in charge. So yes. yeah, it'll be and nice it is, not to have that. There, you know, I have used over the last four years, uh, you know, I the Trump administration sadly has almost uh day to day <laughs> mirrored my my raising of a four-year-old i have a four-year-old mm -hmm. and he has four years in office right so i have used over your, the last your, four your, years your child has never known a world without trump basically well that's not true he was born uh i i remember taking him as an infant uh because I, to the polls because i thought it was going to be this amazing moment that we'd able, be able to show him where he was there when daddy voted for the first female president it was going to be amazing um so he was alive, uh, but but an infant, and he has never, you know, he, I have compared the experience of living through Trump as president to raising a toddler numerous uh -huh. times, because it uh -huh. is nearly a one-to-one -one comparison of, of tantrums and, and screaming till you get what you want and needing attention and, you know, just pure id. It is, you know, a, a toddler is pure id, and so was our president for four years uh, in the worst possible ways. And so in the same way that, uh, you know, when a child is screaming incessantly and then finally goes to sleep, there's this incredible calm that falls over the entire <laughs> house of like, oh, my God, silence. 
Yeah. Got a little silence for a second. I could, I could do anything right now. It's I could read so a beautiful. Just don't even, just like, don't just like, just sit and, and love it. Just enjoy it, honey. Just, it just, that's how it feels when, when Trump was removed from Twitter. It was just like, oh, oh, do you feel like the last few days has just been like, oh, it's so nice. It's so nice. We don't hear from him, you know? And then there's like these, these weird, like tweet length, uh, press releases that come out of the White House that are clearly <laughs> this, dictated in the same way he does tweets, uh, but mostly ignored and, and very few and far between. It's just been like, oh, it's yeah. just, just enjoy it. And that's, I, that is my anticipation of what waking up tomorrow, well, I guess he's there until midday tomorrow, but whatever it is, waking up on the 21st is going to be like, oh, just like, just like, just for, just like, I know there's still problems <laughs> and I know we still got lots of work to do, but just like, just enjoy the just for yeah. a second, have, just have enjoy the, morning. the silence. Take the morning to rest. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so basically like a moment of respite before an oncoming literal yeah. shitstorm. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking gonna... of like that episode of uh, that season of 24. It was not one of the good seasons, right? But it was the one that ended with just Jack Bauer crying in his car, you know, <laughs> for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and I do feel like we're there. But then, then. He looks up and with his steely gaze, he gets back to work. That's, that's who we all are right now. Take I mean, your time to season, cry. Season three of 24 is what you're referring to. And yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a great that was a great moment. It's like, hey, they, they didn't pause to show Jack Bauer eating or going to the bathroom, but they're going to show him weeping because of the tragedies that he's had to endure and witness. He's been holding in his poop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you guys are optimistic. I'm glad you guys have hope. Uh, I, I feel those things as well. You know, I mean, the last few years have really robbed many of us of the ability to expect good news of, uh, having people who are working for us, you know, in our government that reflect our notion of reality, um, that tackle problems of the same gravity we think they should be tackled with. And, um, one of the big reliefs is going to be kind of the level of gaslighting will be decreased. It's not going to be gone, but it will be much lower. I mean, if you watch Joe Biden talk, he's at least acknowledging the problems, you know, like he's not, he's not being like, Hey, it's all just going to go. He's not saying it's all just going to go away. It's going to be fine. Uh, he's acknowledging that there's problems and it's, you realize how much cognitive load there is just, uh, having, the leader of the free world say some say a lie to you, and then you need to then spend mental energy to say, wait, no, that's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. actually this, right? And yeah. like yeah. needing to do that, and other oh, wait, other people are hearing the lie, and I okay, now I have to reckon with the fact that people don't immediately right. recognize it as a lie right. on its face, and yeah. the, the mental now, load now they keeps started like, a movement. Now there's a yeah. cult. Yeah. Now they're raiding it's, the Capitol. It, it escalated pretty quickly. It's yeah. existen- <laughs> it's it's existential and it's um it's uh uh order of magnitude. Every layer that 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 continues laying on top of it is is oh now I have more more to deal with. I, I have yeah, right. more. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's it's totally that. It's it's just like, and as you said, there is so much more work to do. The injustices in our society have not gone away. Uh, I was reading separately from that. I was reading this article in the New York Times about how there's a lot of people who have been lost to QAnon, uh, and just yeah. they now believe conspiracy. They've they've lost like what the New York Times did is they compared the Facebook postings of somebody who believes in QAnon four years ago versus today, 
And it's like four years ago, it's like, hey, here's a selfie. Here's like a cute dog photo. And today, it's just they post 30, 35 times on Facebook and they're all like conspiracy theories. But, you but know? That, that was a like, good piece too because it was also about these uh, engagement chasers, basically, right? And this, the cult was the thing that kind of let them actually have a, have a platform and have a voice too. So there is, there's a lot to think about here in terms of like the responsibility of social media companies too, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. this is happening because the engagement is good and the engagement was good for Facebook and Twitter. And uh, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, uh, Trump is deplatformed from these platform from the, all these services, and our brains are resting a little easier. And um, it's, it's almost like we could have done this a while ago, you know, when other bad things were happening. Uh, yeah, this will be talked about and thought about for a long time. And I hope, like working in the tech industry, that we start to really ask the deeper questions and push these companies harder. Um, I personally, you know, I'm somebody. I've talked to Twitter folks. I've talked to Facebook folks. And it is weird how much just on a different planet, a lot of these, uh, the people at these companies seem to be. So I I, I feel like the capital invasion was the big awakening for a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, You know, a silver lining to a horrific thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, and I think you're absolutely right, Devendra. And I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that that's the case. I hope some of these companies wake up and go, oh, we have some fucking responsibility. Um, it's interesting. I, you know, Dave, you talk about how we'll be reckoning with this for a long time and thinking about it for a long time. And I think about that a lot. And I'm reminded, uh, you know, having conversations with my parents growing up, uh, who, you know, lived through the sixties and were, you know, teens and young adults and, and, you know, experienced all that stuff. And I go, you know, wow, what was it like when this, this event was happening and that event was happening? And, and, you know, my dad, who was a total nerd like me, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, it it was, yeah, we were aware of all of it, but we were, you know, we, I also had to like go to school and live my life and do a thing. And I kind of feel like for the first time I understand that, you know, like there is this dichotomy of having, of being completely consumed by this thing that is earth shattering and you know, is important and you know, you know, is, is affecting you're living through history and you're kind of aware of it, but also like you got to make dinner. You can only do so much. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it was the first time that I kind of understood like, Oh yeah, that, you know, as this, these events were happening to my parents, they also, you know, had to pay the bills and had, you know, like, did you know went to the movies and did you know did things that humans do and i'm gonna be having those same conversations with my kids we're gonna be like what was it like what was that like dad i'm reading about this insanity and i was like yes it's insane and you there's some old podcasts you can listen to and be (laughs) complaining about it but also you know we all had to live our lives too like like you were crying all the time we could only deal with so much okay (laughs) yeah exactly that's really all you have to say yeah. I, I have a few thoughts on a few reactions to what you guys are saying. First of all, uh, Devendra, what you're talking about regarding tech reminds me of something that Ev Williams, oh uh, the creator yeah. of Me- Medium, right, said uh, about the And the co-creator the of Twitter. Yeah. Co-creator of Twitter. He said, uh, this is from a New York Times article. He, uh, I'm quoting from the article. Uh, quote, the trouble with the internet, Mr. Williams says, is that it rewards extremes. Say you're driving down the road and see a car crash. Of course you look. Everyone looks. The internet interprets behavior like this to mean everyone is asking for car crashes, so it tries to supply them, end quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely, I think there's, there's going to be, I hope there's a reckoning with that. Other thing, I've been thinking about this piece for a really long time by Indy Samarajiva. 
uh, that was written over at Medium, gen.medium.com. And it's called, uh, I Lived Through Collapse, America's Already There. Uh, and this writer says, I lived through the end of the Civil War. I moved back to Sri Lanka in my 20s just as the ceasefire fell apart. Do you know what it was like for me? Quite normal. I went to work. I went out. I dated. This is what Americans don't understand. They're waiting to get personally punched in the face while ash falls from the sky. That's not how it happens. This is how it happens, precisely what you're feeling now. The numbing litany of bad news, the ever-rising outrages, people suffering, dying, and protesting all around you while you think about dinner. If you're trying to carry on while people around you die, your society's not collapsing. It's already fallen down. I was looking through old photos for this article, and the mix is shocking to me now, almost offensive. There's a burnt body in front of my office. Then I'm playing Scrabble with friends. There's bomb smoke rising in front of the mall. Then I'm at a concert. There's a long line for gas. Then I'm at a nightclub. This is all within two weeks, end quote. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, it's like, I think America, like, just because you can go shopping at Trader Joe's, people think like, oh, you know, America is in great shape. But when, uh, you know, I I don't know that this writer has like a great definition of the concept of collapse, but but, uh, certainly not in this piece. But the idea that like, it's going to get up and like punch you in the face when you know, like your country is in like a permanent decline. It just doesn't happen that way. I think well, is, is, yeah. the the counter argument to that is last week we got punched in the face. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the the assault on the Capitol, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the punch in the face. I think to, to Devinder's point, which hopefully mm-hmm. people went, oh, yeah. okay. Let's but, now we actually do need to change some things. Well, I, I guess you say that, Jeff, but um, I have seen none of th- there has been no. Uh, you know, Jake Tapper has been on the warpath about this, but there's been no like, oh, I apologize for the rhetoric. Like, right? Uh, the no, I think none of those they're... fuck hats are going to do anything. <laughs> but like, I think I, 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 you know, I'm Pollyanna most of the time. I, I've been pretty depressed the last four years, but uh, I, I'm I'm back to I think feeling a bit hopeful. I dare hope. I think that you know enough people look at genuine insanity genuine upheaval like that and go oh fuck i hope i hope i hope <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah i i mean i i guess um what what i would have hoped for right is uh that a lot of the people who are responsible for the rhetoric that incited a lot of those events would have uh-huh. would have recognized yeah. that and apologized even or but said like Dave, hey you those know those are I assholes was with, <laughs> i was playing with fire and i got burned and i'm really like i because yeah. because if i saw that i would be like actually i feel really good like i feel like oh we might get past this you know like this right. yeah. this might be a thing we can move past as a country but they have instead tried to deceive, inveigle, and obfuscate. Well, the, they, you the, know, they the have... lesson that those douchebags have learned <laughs> from the Trump years is that you never concede a point. Right. You never apologize. You never admit never weakness. Back down. Or, yeah. yeah. And that that is a malignant cancer that needs to be excised as well. I mean, that just that notion of you know, of of constant bluster and and attack instead of literally any other response yep. you know and empathy yeah. empathy and understanding are weakness you know right. like a sign yes. of humanity's weakness but anyway yeah so anyway. so i guess uh, you, you know you say it's a punch in the face but to me like a punch in the face is something that gets everyone to wake up and it didn't get everyone oh, no. to wake up no. this you know? is like so. the end of a zombie apocalypse where you know <laughs> actually most people survived but a lot of people have brain worms 
and we're gonna have to live in a world <laughs> where people have brain worms. And it's like they're the gonna, end of yeah. uh, this, is like the end of Shaun of the Dead, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, basically, we have to learn to live with we, the zombies. We coexist with the zombies now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, well, I'm glad you guys are feeling hopeful. Uh, I am feeling like I, I mean the thing that uh, myself and my like some of my family and friends have been saying a lot is this whole situation with Biden it buys us some time. That's kind of where I'm at with it. It's not like, oh, we're on the up and everything's going great. Uh, it's more like it buys us some time. And th- that in itself has value. So we hope you're staying safe out there, staying healthy. And uh, you understand, at least from a pandemic perspective, my sense is help is on the way. And that is really, really encouraging and lovely to think about. So my, uh, uh, my dad has his appointment for his first vaccine shot. So, that's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. I'm, I'm that's hopeful great. about that. And my my wife's dad and stepmom uh, had their first shot today. So excellent. Uh, yeah, it is, it is it is going slower and more dumb Progress. than Progress, than most yeah. <laughs> than anybody would have thought. Uh, the idea that we could like bend time and space to our will to actually come up with the vaccine, but then bungle the rollout of it to such a because it's like, of course because of course yeah. It's it's amazing that like we are a society that has like we 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 were able to do this impossible thing like we <laughs> decided to all come together and be like we are the greatest minds will all work together and figure out how to solve this problem and we ha- we did it we actually did this unfathomable amazing tribute to human ingenuity and then went. Well, I fucking don't know how to give it to people, though. I, you know, well, we did it, it but it, it's more like, hey, I, there's this lie about this election being stolen, and that right now is more important than you know the logistics of delivering the vaccine across the country. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I wish, fun. I wish it it's was, fun. it was just as bad. I, I agree with you, but I, I also think like states are doing a bad job of it. Like everybody's doing a terrible, yeah. Oh, yeah. terrible yeah. job of it. So, I mean, I mean, theoretically, people should be getting vaccinated twenty four seven. Like it should be three a.m. Yes. time to wake up for my vaccine appointment. Like sure. yes, that would be like a military yeah. rollout of uh, you know, it should be like I think I said it on this show a while back. It should be like you know, like World War Two. Everybody stop what you're doing and make yeah. bombs. You know, we're we're, we're everybody stopping. <laughs> we're working in the steel factory. You used to be a cook. You used to be you know used to clean floors. Now you're making bombs. You know, like that's what it should be. In this country like fucking war it's it's what it is 400,000 people are dead it's insanity yeah yeah well anyway uh i'm glad back to the movie yeah, yeah. yeah. well at least, at least we know yeah thank you dave but at least we know that we will be getting several very angry itunes reviews this week <laughs> <laughs> and in the end isn't that what's most important the answer is no the answer is no it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our new sponsor, Babbel. Me llamo Jeff. Como te llamas? Ah? In case you don't speak Spanish, I said, my name's Jeff. What is your name? And I'm finally doing it. Finally doing it. I, I learned that from Babbel. And uh, too long, I have said, I want to learn another language. It's been on my life list of things to do. Too long, I have put it off. But now I've got Babbel, the number one selling language learning app on the planet. And I've decided it's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions 
I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to finally buckle down and spend just 15 minutes a day to learn Spanish. I, 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 I live in California. I, it's my duty to learn Spanish. I just, it's ridiculous that I've gone this long only having a couple of years of high school Spanish. Babbel is making this entire process addictively fun, super easy because the lessons are bite-sized. They give me stuff that I'll actually use in, in the real world. And I want, you know, when we finally get out of the bubble, we finally get out of into the real world again. I want to be able to talk to all my Spanish speaking neighbors, all the, all the people whose businesses I frequent. I want to be able to converse in Spanish. Plus my wife and I love traveling. When we get to travel again, I want to be able to go and speak Spanish. This is something I've wanted to be able to do for a long, long time. And Babbel's 15 minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language. I can, I've been doing it on my home computer, but they have an app too. It's so easy. I can do it on the go. And unlike the language classes that I took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical real world conversations in mind. No, I'm not always asking where's the biblioteca. I don't really care where the biblioteca is. You know why? Because I have a Kindle now. I'm using stuff that I'll use in real life. And other language learning apps use AI for their lessons plan, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from over 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. All right, let's get to what we've been watching this week, folks. Uh, so, uh, big thing that was released, uh, particularly for Marvel Zombies, WandaVision. Yeah. Was Phase on, four, um, starting now, Dave. Phase four. On Disney+. Plus. So, in order to talk about WandaVision, we are going to need to spoil the first two episodes of WandaVision. So, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to talk about it for, I don't know, probably 10, 15, 20 minutes uh, and talk about WandaVision. But... Uh, I, I am so curious about what you guys think about this. And I guess, uh, so so spoilers for WandaVision, episodes one and two starting right now. But this show is weird. Um, yeah, very weird. It, it opens, basically the first two episodes take place in uh, a, a, a kind of TV land-esque sitcom right like the the trappings of you know the dick van dyke show are like recreated meticulously except it's wanda maximoff and vision that are playing like the husband and with wife no explanation with no explanation happened. of yeah. why they're in this situation but you know they they are themselves they are like you know wanda has like powers and vision has powers and they kind of joke about around and like it uses all the tropes of sitcoms uh of like uh, oh, we got to impress the boss at dinner. You know, like all these like normal sitcom things. And uh, in the first two episodes, there's only a few hints as mm -hmm. to what is actually going on that has caused these two people to be in this situation, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what the show has been so far. Jeff Kanata, your Marvel zombie from way back. 
Very curious what you think of the first two episodes. Marvel Zombie from way back. And also, if you recall, fellas, right at the beginning of the quarantine, the pandemic, uh, all that stuff, I believe I mentioned on this show how one of the things I was doing to sort of mentally cope was that I had gone back and started watching old Dick Van Dyke shows and Mary Tyler Moore shows on Hulu. If you guys recall me saying that, but yeah, it was something yeah, that yeah, I was I doing. That. Yeah. I was doing as, as for you know for sort of mental health, just just like the the watching these old sort of pat silly uh, you know very um, uh, everything is 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 squeaky clean kind of shows. Just it 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 eased me. Uh, it, whatever it was, it was a throwback to you know those old Nick at Night of my youth or whatever it was. I was. I, I enjoyed it. It gave me some, you know, it was like the last thing I would watch at night is just an episode or two of the Dick Van Dyke show. So I was primed for this and I am digging it, man. The the thing that's so crazy, it's a very bold thing to do for Marvel. Here is Extremely bold. Right? One of and the I, most bold things they've done in my estimation. Clearly, yeah. I mean, they, they, the thing that I just love about Kevin Feige and that team is that they know when they're playing with house money and they never make the safe choice. I mean, not never. There are there are things I know you guys, uh, Blue Beam and Sky and, and such, that you guys will criticize. But I think more often than not, they decide to do things like ending, you know, uh, Infinity War the way they did, right? Or like, th these are bold choices these are risky things to do uh, and even endgame i think was a bold crazy thing crazy thing to do for the most profitable franchise of films ever right and here's something even more outside the box i mean this is like twin peaks we're, we're in like twilight zone territory this is really bizarre sort of niche programming and the thing i'm so impressed with is the the show within a show, the 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 fifties sitcom thing, and 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 you know, spoiler, but it is progressing through time, right? It, it starts yeah. with a very specific time period and kind of moves forward decades at a time and becomes. Um, I think we're going to see in these next episodes is going to come even more um, modern in its TV sitcommy uh, tropes, but it's not like it's not a parody. It's not making fun of those things. It's authentically doing it. Like yeah, there, yeah. there are cracks that happen, but they are very few, and they are usually very much at the end of episodes. And so, most of what you're watching is a legit version of that show. It's not. It's not wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not parodying it or making fun of those old tropes. It's not a a send up of of sitcoms. It is legitimately trying to do those jokes, do those, those situations. And I, I'm shocked that they would make that decision and I'm having a blast watching it. I don't think it's for everybody, which is crazy because this is <laughs> yeah. like, because most is like a, Marvel a, is four quadrant stuff. It's mostly yes, for everyone. Yeah. It is made, it is the most mainstream thing right now, right? It's the, you know, the most profitable films, uh, uh, profitable characters right now in the world. And so I think that's bizarre. And, and as the sort of the the first movement of this phase four, like the first thing we're seeing, it's such a bold idea. And I think honestly, to that end, it makes me so excited for what this phase is going to be, which mm -hmm. seems to be all about the multiverse. And we hear rumblings of Kang, the Conqueror, and this idea of 
all these different realities overlapping on each other. I think we're going to see some very complex, fascinating storytelling using really, you know, pulpy, uh, exciting sci-fi concepts that like, as a kid, these are the kind of the books that I would read, but I never imagined it to be done on this scale. And I think that's what this show is hinting at. Uh, but it is a slow burn, man. It's a slow burn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Devendra, curious your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I mean, this show, it commits to the bit, right? Like it fully <laughs> yeah. commits to the bit. And I think it is really up to you if you actually like the bit. You know, I like old sitcoms. Uh, I do think, I don't think I needed more than one episode of them right. doing the the Dick Van Tyke type, type thing. But it is interesting. I think like Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic in this. Like she is channeling her pure like Lucille Ball energy and Paul Bettany. Well, well the two of them have yeah. great chemistry. I think that's just great, that's great, great chemistry, but also yeah. like great, funny. Like they are very good physical comedians when they need to be. Paul Bettany is basically basically just doing Dick Van Dyke. But it is uh, it's really entertaining to watch. I'm really interested to see like how this all wraps together. Um, the show was created by Jack Schaefer, who she like, I, I remember she did this movie called timer in 2009. Right. And she also, I believe she wrote the hustle. Um, but she did timer. And this was a movie about like, uh, I think there was like a countdown clock until you would, the moment you would meet your soulmate, according to IMDb, like she has been doing like all these really heady, really like unique types of ideas. So I am, I'm down for her having a chance to like really just make this concept happen. Uh, but like, here's the thing. Disney has made 22 and a half billion dollars from the MCU right now. Right? Like I think they can afford to be, <laughs> to be a little creative and I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're doing it. Like after so many films, like I'm glad we're seeing this and I hope this next phase is is more of this. Like, even if it's not like I, I, I'm not fully loving the bit here, but I love the ingenuity and I love like the potential for where it could go. Um, and if they can repeat this, if in the actual blockbuster movies, eventually that would be kind of interesting too, because I do think, um, sure. They've made so much money with the last few phases, right? Um, there is a danger of repeating yourself. There is the danger of just like doing the same thing over and over again. I wonder if they're starting to think like, you know, maybe what if, what if like these were more like the way Christopher Nolan movie works, right? Like where it's this concept that is high minded and heady, but he also like, they're never the same other than the like dead wife trope. Right. Like, but they're never like the same conceptually or in terms of characters or anything. So I, I would love to see more of that. And this gives me hope for the next, uh, the next phase at least, because I, I honestly liked having a break from the MCU for a year, you know, like it was not the greatest thing in the world because we were supposed to have movies and the perfect world. Like we, we would have like, everything would have run normally, but it was nice to have like a cultural reset for a moment to sit back and think about like what we want from our, movies and what we want from our pop culture and now yeah i want something different this is different so i'm i'm hop i'm happy with this ultimately so i kind of agree with you davindra uh, the the way the i'll say this i think my feelings on this would be much different if it was released binge style right because yeah, i, yeah, I would have yeah, watched yeah. it all and mm -hmm. but then it, uh, then i was thinking to myself okay they're doling out this information so slowly you know am i going to need to endure uh, another like six episodes of this before I get any information as to what's right. going on. I was recording a uh, Patreon episode for my personal Patreon with Joanna Robinson, and I was complaining about this very thing about WandaVision. We we're talking about the, the show, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't know if I can like endure like 
this slow drip drip of information, you know, with like not when 95% of the show is like a meticulously well recreated sitcom from that decade. And Joanna was like, really, Dave? Like, the show has lasted like 45 minutes so far. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It really, yeah. They're 22 yeah. minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. The episodes are short. And also um, my understanding is like, even between episodes one and two, the amount of information that is given to the audience about what's happening outside is like much higher in episode two than episode one. Right. Um, and I believe that that trend continues in episode three and probably will then continue through the rest of the series. So I'm definitely willing to give it, a chance um willing to get through a few more episodes i do wish it was it, it quote unquote got to the point a little bit faster but uh yeah, there's a lot there's a lot that's really interesting you guys have identified a lot of it which is it's a big it's a big chance it's like hey um we are going to purposefully not tell you what is going on for mm-hmm. a, a fairly extended like for weeks for weeks we are not going to tell you and in its place you're going to have meticulously well recreated you know uh, 50s and 60s sitcoms, and that's that's all yeah. you're going to have to work on. And I think um, they're hoping yeah. that you're not just watching it for the right. tidbits, right? I think right. I, I, it's a bit like you know, I'm reminded of something like Lost, where everybody's like, "Oh, what's the secret on the island?" And all the creators of Lost are like, uh, "What we want you to be worried about is like, you know, whose character is going to kiss whose other <laughs> character?" You know, that, <laughs> we're telling those. That's the story we care great about. Damon Lindelof impression, by the way. Thank but you, yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, they wanted us to, to be invested in these in these stories and everybody's like, what are the numbers? You know, uh, and I think I think that's kind of happening here, too, is at least in these first couple of episodes, it's, you know, the the hook is what's happening. But I think they want you to actually have fun inside the sitcom. And I was I I dug it. I I had a good time with all the goofy, uh, you know, I you mentioned Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen and they're great, but. Catherine Hahn is the standout for me. She's great. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. She's, she's good. so perfect in this. Well, she's always had that like classic sitcom star energy too. Like, yeah. right. So yeah, this is perfect for her. Oh, uh, here's, here's something I will complain about though. It's not actually about the show. It's about Jeff Kanata, which is one of my favorite things to complain about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty sure when this first came out, maybe it was you, Jeff, it might've been someone else, but pretty sure when we first started seeing ads for this, like years ago, you might have said something like, oh, this looks like it's based off of the Vision comic book. Yeah. Do you recall saying that? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate still. Oh, no? yeah. Yeah. So I went out and acquired the Vision comic book and read it, and it was a great comic book. So thank you for that recommendation. Oh, you're welcome. Um, this is not based on that at all. <laughs> it, well, it I is, think it, it... It has the feel of that. It, it's yes. kind of like the, the sensibility. It's the sensibility. Yeah. But my, my understanding is this is much closer to something like House of M. Um, so yeah, j- just for those who are, uh, hoping that the vision comic is going to get them a uh, good insight into this, uh, you will be very disappointed in Jeff Kanata. That's well, in the that. sense that, in the sense that the vision comic is about this sort of domesticated Wanda Correct. and vision that live in a suburb and do, you know, very sitcom things and are trying I don't think to Wanda's hide in it. I don't think Wanda's in the vision comic, but yes, I agreed with what you're saying. Yeah. She's not. I don't think so. Why I recall, I don't know. Yeah. it was a long time ago. Um, but yes, I, I yeah, I, I I hear you. But uh, I I I think that I would be surprised if this existed if that comic never did. Right? I feel like it was inspired in some way by that that swing, that risk of that comic. Possible future spoilers for future episodes of Wandavision. Uh, but I am curious if you have a if you guys have guesses as to what's actually going on in the show. 
Do you have a theory as to what's happening? Well, clearly Jeff has they all the are. Theories, yeah. I mean, clearly they are inside some sort of simulation that is keeping them docile, right? That is, yes, and, I think that's right. And, um, you know, it's, it is two uh, extremely powerful beings uh, that it seems would be in the interest of some to keep uh, control over and uh, passive and docile and happy. And um, so it, it does seem to me that there is clearly either they themselves chose this to uh, uh, as a um, alternative to being d- a danger to the world, right? Or there is some malevolent outside force that is uh, has abducted them and forced them into this place to keep control over them and, and attempting to manipulate them into using their powers for some other means. My sense is that it's probably like if I had to guess, it's like Wanda's powers are like out of control in some way, kind of like a Dark yeah. Phoenix situation, right? And yeah, they needed to they need to um, keep her in here for for control purposes, as you said. Um, maybe uh, they used to watch a bunch of uh, Dick Van Dyke show in Sokovia as she was growing up, you know, and that's right, why she right. like uh, mm-hmm, she decided mm-hmm. to choose. That's why she's talking in this way, and she knows how people talk in this way. Big question for me is. Um, Theoretically, Vision is dead, right? And so, right. is is Vision alive in the show, or is it her memory of Vision? Right, what's going on here? Because Vision is dead. He died before the snap mm-hmm. in Avengers: Infinity War, right? right? And so, nothing before the snap was brought back to life. People were brought back to life from the snap, but nothing before them was brought back to life. So, as far as we know, at the end of Endgame, Vision is still dead. So is he actually alive? Like I assume, I understand this takes place after Endgame. So that's the question for me: is like what what is happening with Vision? Is it a memory of Vision? Are we gonna are we gonna watch Wanda Maximoff lose Vision all over again? The one thing I will say that's great about the show is um, we are this is finally we're seeing this relationship fleshed out, right? That like yeah, thought maybe you know five minutes of screen time in the <laughs> in the MCU, like we're finally seeing what like kind of at least one slice of what this relationship was. And that's kind of a great way of uh, using the TV format is like, Hey, this is part of the story we can't tell in the movies. Right. But right. because we have all this extra time, we can tell it on TV. So, yeah, and I think, you know, clearly if it's happening all in Wanda's mind, th- her not knowing or neither of them knowing their own origin story, right. Not, how, yeah, wh- yeah. what's our song? Where did we meet? How none of them, them not being able to remember any of that stuff, it, you know, makes sense, right? Because she's sort of inventing this in her head or someone's implanting it in her head. Right. And it doesn't have any basis in actual moments from, from reality. Um, but I, I like the fact that, you know, I think that the, the Scarlet Witch character, although n- not able to be called that in the MCU, the Wanda Maximoff character, um, kind of, you know, got a bit of short shrift in the sense that you know she evolved in the comics into being really one of the most powerful beings in the Marvel universe. And uh, I th- I think it might be interesting if phase four, she, you know, maybe this is a hint at her playing a much bigger part in, in the proceedings. And I think uh, some of it may lead to her demonstrating much more important powers. I mean, you talk about House of M and, you know, No More Mutants is a pretty a pow- big, huge uh, tentpole moment in in the continuity of the Marvel Universe. And if we get, you know, we, we hear rumblings that there are going to be mutants and, and X-Men in the MCU at some point, this may be how it happens, right? Her mm. powers 
there may be the opposite of no more mutants you know in some way like she brings them in somehow that would uh, by the way talk about like baller ways to end this series like what if, what if that is the <laughs> you you see a bald man float into like you know dude. float into frame in a wheelchair like that would be absolutely dude. baller so I I, yeah. I I yeah i would want some of that uh, my worry for whenever they reboot the x-men is that uh i don't think anyone's gonna replace hugh jackman in my heart I don't. I don't know if he can do that. <laughs> Doug Gray Scott, perhaps. Doug Gray Scott. Um, Doug Gray Scott. Scott. Right? He he was almost going to be Wolverine. If you for those who don't know. Oh, we I know. think it's much more likely to be Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so uh, those are our thoughts on One Division. I think we're going to try to do a series review of One Division after the show's over and. What I what I have heard is that like these shows actually have kind of basically movie production movie level production values, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how it evolves, but like it, so far it looks great, and I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out. So we're probably going to have a Wandavision like full series review as a main episode review at some point in the future, um, so you can look forward to that. Um, but that is one thing I've been watching this week is Wandavision. It's available right now on Disney Plus. Hey everyone, it's been a pretty stressful year. I can't imagine why. But if you're like me, you've probably been looking for some ways to just deal with the sleeplessness or the anxiety and things like that. So I wanted to talk about something that's genuinely helped me, and that's Feels. Feels is premium CBD that's delivered right to your doorstep. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, As a journalist, I find myself in anxiety-inducing situations all the time if I'm interviewing famous people or just doing a ton of stuff on air. So I've appreciated that Feels is just easy to take. You just have to place a few drops under your tongue, and you'll notice a difference pretty quickly. And it may take a while to figure out like what amount is best for you. Luckily, Feels has real human support to help you just determine the amount of strength that you need. And, you know, I just really appreciate the fact that it's natural. There's no high hangover or addiction. So I'd recommend joining the Feels community to get it delivered to your door every month. It sure beats just running to the store and not knowing the quality of the CBD that you're getting. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. And I'll note this one thing from Feels website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Feels has not been evaluated by the FDA. Uh, the FDA only evaluates food and drugs, not supplements like Feels. It's not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Personally, it just has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Another thing I've been watching this week that I want to mention is uh, The Dissident. This is a movie that uh, was directed by the same guy who did Icarus. Yeah. Uh, which I think, Jeff, you, you, I recall you quite enjoying. Um, yes, very much Won so. the Academy Award for Best Documentary. Uh, Brian Fogel. And uh, The Dissident is available right now on Video On Demand. You can rent it for $20 or buy it for $25. I just I bought, bought it. it. I bought yeah. it for $25 because yeah. I want to support give me, give me the, the option. Come yes, on. Yes, yes. Even if it was $30, I would have bought it. I mean, I want to, get, I want to support filmmaking like this and in fact um there's a there's a media story out right now about how 
the director of this movie was having quite a difficult time getting distribution for the film. Yeah, like, I can't imagine why. You Icarus know? was distributed on uh, on Netflix, and he went to Netflix. He's like, "Hey, I I got a really critically acclaimed film for you here about uh, the Saudi family. Like, what do you guys think?" And they they turned it down, and many other people turned it down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that, you know, that's an interesting side story about this movie's release. Devendra, you texted me last night. You were like, "Wow, the dissidents filmmaker, the, the the filmmaking of the dissident." That's what you said. Yeah. Wow. Uh, tell me what you meant by that. It's the filmmaking just, of the dissident. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to put down the story too much because this is it's a movie about the um, you know the aftermath and everything that happened around the murder of Jamal Khashoggi by Saudi Arabia, right? And it it is an incredibly important and serious story, but also like as somebody who just is really fascinated by how, um, you know, how well filmmaking can work in documentaries. I feel like the way he staged a lot of these shots and his interviews with um, the, there's like another dissident who was working with Khashoggi. It was just all so crisp and clean. It was like he was making a Jason Bourne movie about this this story. Like it just feels so confident like that. Just uh, and, and there's things there's kind of filmmaking techniques he uses that contribute to this. Number one, I would say like the music, the score, right, is very much like a spy thriller. There's a lot of CG in uh, the movie to demonstrate concepts that are being discussed. Um, a lot of like handheld shaky cam of like you know following people down streets and stuff like that. Um, I'm gonna read the description in iTunes of, of the dissident. I'm just gonna read the first couple sentences. Um, from Academy Award-winning director Brian Fogel, The Dissident is a critically acclaimed, edge-of-your-seat, adrenaline-filled thriller that plays out at the highest levels of power, exposing the labyrinth of deceit behind the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, end quote. Which, to me, is both accurate and felt a little bit tasteless. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. You, you would not still, believe what happened. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that got as far as we can understand, brutally murdered, like a gruesome death. Yep. And uh, you're describing it as an adrenaline-fueled, like, edge-of-your-seat thriller. It just, it feels wrong to me, you know? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I will say that the movie is very, very watchable, and overall, I think it, it does more good for the world than bad, you I know, agree. in the yeah. sense that it illustrates uh, the context of why um, uh, the... Saudi royal family or uh, MBS might have wanted to assassinate Jamal Khashoggi, allegedly uh, assassinate. You know, we like all we know is what the CIA has revealed to our lawmakers, which is that he probably did it. Um, yeah, all we know is the blood spatters in the conference room and uh, all the evidence pointing to where they could have burned the body in a high heat oven. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, 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 but according to Trump, you know, we'll never really know. We'll never really know, right? So anyway, uh, I, I think so that... So why ask the questions if we'll never really know? That's, I think that's the, that's yeah, the takeaway. That's the, that's the takeaway. It's ultimately uh, does a great job of kind of illuminating uh, the context behind it. Um, also, the people who Jamal Khashoggi was kind of interacting with uh, at the time and like why those interactions might have led to uh, this horrible event happening. Um, and also just kind of a bigger picture context of like what uh, the Saudi royal family is like trying to accomplish at mm-hmm. this time in Saudi Arabia and the role that social media plays in that. So uh, 
I think it's a it's one of those documentaries where if you vaguely heard about the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi and you were like, I don't really understand why that was such a big deal. Yeah. Watching this movie, The Dissident, will give you a good sense of why. So mm-hmm. uh, and, and so to that extent, I think it's, it's achieved its goal. Uh, the filmmaking is very slick, but it also at times feels like, hmm, not sure I feel good about this. So, yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts, Dvindra? I mean, I think as long as it's getting the message across, because this is something just reading about the story, you know, hit me hard, too, because it is so it is just so brutal and just so insane. The aftermath of it, too, of Saudi Arabia, just saying for for a while, it's like, hey, uh, we we don't know how this guy, uh, you know, what happened to this guy who went into our embassy. And then it was like he um, I think at some point they were like he killed himself. He. Like it, it was like a, a Simpsons comedy of errors of excuses that they came up with. Um, and yeah, and MBS has just never, never fully confronted it. And I don't think anybody, here's the thing, like who will, who can really step up and ask the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, you know, did you murder this man? Who is brave enough to do that? This movie alone had trouble actually being you know, distributed. Netflix, um, you know, a service that already uh, pulled an episode of the Patriot Act, right? Because it was critical of Saudi Arabia. Like these, yeah. these services are not proving themselves to be really uh, strong ambassadors of truth and justice or anything. So I bought this movie mainly to support what Brian Fogel is doing here because I think it's important. And same, we're, same. we're living in a world right now where journalists are in danger and facts are in danger and the truth is in danger. So this is a really important story to tell. And yeah, I, I, I think the thing is his filmmaking is just too good sometimes, right? It is just so slick that you're like, oh, buddy, maybe we should just take it down a notch because this is <laughs> this is a horrific story. But yeah, it, it is very watchable in many ways. Yeah. I will say I was also surprised to be watching it. And then like my boss shows up in the movie uh, as like having a major role uh, because uh, yeah. Jamal Khashoggi worked for the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, yeah. who, by the way, is also the CEO of the company I work for. So, uh, but uh, he comes off, uh, I think, uh, pretty pretty well in the movie. Um, so uh, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, anyway, so that is the dissident. It's available right now uh, for rent or purchase. Devendra, what have you been watching this week? Well, you know, speaking of a movie that's about a conservative government that was obsessed with destroying a progressive commentator. That was just speaking the truth. I want to talk about MLK FBI, Nicely the new done. Sam Pollard documentary, um, which was released. I believe it was actually released. No, it was a couple days before uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in America. And this is a movie that basically reveals more uh, declassified documents about the FBI's investigation into Martin Luther King Jr. And it is um, it is messed up. It is seriously like you again, this is one of those things where you've probably heard like, oh, yeah, you know, the FBI was just really going after this guy. But it was insane. What's like what's like one really remarkable fact that you learned about the FBI's attempt to subvert Martin Luther King? So uh, what we know is that uh, the FBI director was just obsessed with taking him down because Martin Luther King Jr. represented everything that uh that J. Edgar Hoover hated, you know, about new progressives. He was a young black man with a voice, uh, and increasingly popular, like he was getting more and more of an audience and influence. And Hoover is just this guy that was like, I, I want my like white bread, really nice Puritan style family. They obsessively recorded and collected 
evidence of Martin Luther Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, sexual, you know, affairs. Like he had he had a lot. He had several affairs going on at one time, um, and this was the FBI's job just to collect evidence of this to destroy this man. And at one point, I think the big, this isn't a spoiler or anything because it's talked about in interviews, but I think people need to understand, like at one point the FBI collected audio evidence of him having affairs, um, sent it to his wife and sent a badly written letter that was supposedly from, uh, you know, another black revolutionary that was just like, um, you cannot be a morally, you know, reliable leader right now. And it ended with like, you know what to do, which was literally kill yourself. That's what our FBI did. And it is, it is astounding. Like this movie goes into just how deep uh, the FBI, you know, was leaning on, on MLK. And, you know, we, we don't know anything really. Like we don't know the specifics about his assassination, but we, at least in terms of how much, if the federal government was involved at all, but it does raise the question of just like, did they did they not try to stop it? Did they just not do their jobs because somebody was out there to kill him and that was actually beneficial for, you know, the country at that point? Um, I think this movie Acor- is well according worth- to them. According, according to, them. to yeah. them, yeah, according yeah. to them. But I think this movie is well worth watching just to get more of a sense of that history. Um, I mean, it is. It also humanizes MLK in a way because, like, he he he's not a saint, and we'll talk about this later in uh, One Night in Miami, right? Like, we talk about these historical figures in ways that are so revelatory, uh, or that's so like so praiseworthy, where you forget they're human beings with human flaws that, that make mistakes, and even you know a renowned progressive pastor could be having affairs with people, and it, I, I think that humanization is interesting too. But I think this movie is just really fascinating to see just because it really explores like how demented the FBI was when it came to taking him down. And really, that was their that 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 was their focus, right? Not the whole like he's bringing up issues of inequality. He's bringing up issues of substandard living for the poor. He's bringing up issues of racial, you know, racial inequality and how black people, especially in America, n- basically have no rights and have to fight for everything. And the government's like, um, well, you're having all these affairs, buddy. Like, we're just going to have to really cut you down a notch, you know? So it is it is troubling and ang- like it angers me to see how far the FBI went. And also, I'm somebody who grew up watching the FBI in a positive light, right? Like, I grew up with the X-Files. I grew up with Silence of the Lambs, where to be in the FBI is like, you're this cool-ass agent who's out there trying to do good in the world. And... For nearly 40 years, that was not the case. Um, So, yeah, at least at the beginning. So I think this movie is well worth a watch. Um, It's available for rental now on Video On Demand. Check it out, especially after this week. All right. The movie is MLK FBI. Uh, And, yeah, it's, you know, I I saw this tweet from um, uh, Bernice King uh, that, surfaced in she tweeted in may 28th of 2020 but like uh became popular again uh yesterday where she said quote don't act like everyone loved my father he was assassinated yes Yes. a 1967 poll reflected that he was one of the most hated men in america most hated many who quote him now and evoke him to deter justice today would likely hate and may already hate the authentic king and end quote um 
it's just good context to have because that definitely that's not how it was taught to me in school. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. And I think like uh, as, everybody as supported as, the FBI. Everybody was backing what the FBI was doing here, and they had huge amount of support across the country. So history does look at things in different ways, and I think it's important to remember like where where this all began because a lot of it has not left us. Indeed. All right. That's MLK FBI. And you can, uh, did you buy it or rent it, Devendra? Um, I believe it's only for rent right now. It's one of gotcha. those, but it's, it's like a reasonable price. It's not 20 bucks. What'd you, what else you've been watching, Devendra? Something a little lighter. I just wanted to shout out uh, Yearly Departed, which is a comedy special on, uh, on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, there are a bunch of these, right? We didn't talk about the, uh, the one from the Black Mirror guy. Which, uh, did we? I forget if we talked about it. We mentioned it, I think, we, in yeah. passing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, I, I was pretty disappointed with that. Whereas this one is more, it has, you know, comedy stars that are actually funny. They actually get a chance to just, like, kick. Like, it, it is basically a funeral. You know, it is a funeral service for 2020. And they are just reading eulogies. They're reading, like, the, the things that they'll miss uh, from 2020. Um, I think, or because of 2020, I forget how that works out. But it has a great array of talent. Rachel Brosnahan, Sarah Silverman, Tiffany Haddish, Natasha Leggero, Patty Harrison, Phoebe Robinson, uh, a lot of, and some surprise guests too. I think it's really fun. It's short. Um, this was also like shot in the pandemic too. So you see a bit of, uh, I think at the end of how they did this, like just to shoot these women in, you know, a funeral parlor, a they were basically all shot independently and special effects had to be used to put them in their seats. So it looked like they were actually all sitting in a room together. Um, I think that alone is kind of impressive, but I find it really funny if you're ready to revisit like the, the madness of last year. Um, there are so many of these specials, but I think this one actually uh, is worth watching. That is yearly departed and it is available right now on prime video. All right, Jeff Kanata hit us up with what you've been watching this week. I've been watching a, a number of things. I want to start with uh, a show on Netflix called Lupin. This is a uh, a series, a short series, uh, all in French mm -hmm. um, with subtitles. And um, I, I, I'm shocked to see it in the top 10 of all things on Netflix. Right That's now. a famous like, character. You know? I've heard it's the first big streaming surprise of 2021. Yeah. Is, yeah. is it, is it a streaming surprise, Jeffrey? It's phenomenal. It is so fun. I am mm -hmm. in love with this show. I don't know what the deal is with it. I, I haven't finished uh, the, I haven't finished all of the, the five episodes. I've, I have one more left to go. I was hoping to finish before we talked about it, but I have one more left to go, but all of the five episodes that are on Netflix now uh, are titled Part One, mm -hmm. Episode One, Part One, Episode Two, Part One, Episode Three. So I assume there's more coming, and I, I couldn't be happier about that because, um, you know, the, the man's a part two. But the, the basic idea about this show is, uh, without spoiling anything, this is like a heist, a... Uh, a a thriller, a spy. I mean, it's it's Sherlock Holmes and um, yeah. the Lupin Saint is cool as Sherlock Holmes. That is who he is. Like as a he's he's right? like Sherlock Holmes meets uh, Ocean's Eleven. He's yeah. he's he's basically fucking Batman. You know, he's um. It, so the idea of Lupin, at least the way this show interprets it, I I wasn't familiar with this character at all. I don't. I he is it, huge. It, he is a huge character. Yeah. Incredibly yeah, I, I was famous, not aware yeah. of this this character. I, I'd never heard of it. 
But uh, the way the take that this uh, show does, which I don't know is the usual take for Lupin, maybe it is always this way, but it, the the way this show handles it is it, it's as if somebody read a whole bunch of Batman comics and then decided to be Batman. So yes, the idea yeah. is that there is this character called Lupin who is this the gentleman thief uh, that is the star of of numerous books or at least one particular book, and uh, this character's father gives him that book before he dies, and it's and he as a as a young boy, and he reads it so many times that he becomes that character, which is such a cool idea. It's such a cool idea, and um. Every episode is basically a really cool heist, a really clever Mission Impossible style. How is he going to get out get out of this one? How is he going to pull off that thing that he needs to do? And he does it in in spectacular fashion, you know, with brilliant plans and schemes, uh, twists and turns. It is also telling two stories. He's basically trying to find out uh, if his father was was framed for this crime uh that led to his death and so you know he it's very personal for him it it is so it's playing with like two different time frames we go back to the mid 90s when he was young and he's dealing with his father and and then we flash forward to now and it's 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 sophisticated in that way there are a few things that the show does where it's like okay i guess i'll let you get away (laughs) with that one you know, there's a, a few things that hand waves away that it's like, yeah, I, I think I, it would be a little was, more difficult than that. to do. I was that. listening to uh, the Extra Hot Guy podcast talk about this, and there's like some heist components that are like pretty sketchy as far as I understand. There's a few. I mean, if you really want to be a, a stickler, uh, I think it, it depends on your disposition when you're watching it. Right. If you're going to be the going to nitpick on like that seems like a pretty big coincidence. But if you're sort of as I was so engaged by the show and along for the ride and loving the pulp nature of it. I mean, it's a very pulpy show in the mm-hmm. best possible way. It's like this great roller coaster ride. And, you know, it's like saying, I don't know if Batman could really hang upside down that long. You know, it's, could it's, he could he really build like a whole cave and everything without everyone knowing about exactly. it? Exactly. That's the, it's that who, level. I mean, this is doing the carpentry in the cave. You yeah, know, doesn't he exactly. know who Batman is? Yeah, nobody's going to recognize the face under the cowl. Really, you know, it's that kind of thing. There are a few things. Did he and build the Batmobile thing- himself? You know, like right, there's got to right. be a mechanic that would know about the Batmobile. Yeah, uh, there are a few. There are a few things that they do in Lupin where they also just like don't explain it at all. Like he'll do things like you ever heard of the handcuff trick, and the guy's like, "What's the handcuff trick?" And he like does a thing, and you're like, "He goes, that's the handcuff trick," and you're like, "Well, that's not explaining what the hand." You know, like you just. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's but he just did something impossible but the show is like well it's because he knows how to do it you know it's it's um it's like that but it, but it's so fun and the the ride is so cool and the mystery is so cool and like him constantly being one step ahead of at all times you know there's like one episode where you know they say uh lupin you know from the from the original book it says lupin even when he loses he wins you know and so there's stuff like that it's it it's super pulpy it's so fun and so well shot. Uh, I am just having a blast watching this show. Jeff, I'm glad you're liking it, by the way, but be sure to check out Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, because that was like, uh, that was Miyazaki's first movie, I believe. And it was so, 
it was so influential. Like uh, Spielberg basically modeled a lot of the chases in Raiders of the Lost Ark on like how the action was oh. framed and done in that movie. So that's on Netflix now too. So check that out. Wow. Yeah. 1971. I'm seeing Lupin the 79 third. for because the third is like a huge series, but Cagliostro oh. is the movie from 79. Ah, I see. I see. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like encouraged that a lot of people are digging it. You know, I, I guess we've just moved past that period of time when people wouldn't watch stuff that had subtitles, you know? I just well, think there's also, just I, I think it. it, I don't know if it defaults to the English dub, but the trailer played with the dub first. So I imagine a lot of people are just, Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know there was an English, English dub. I watched it with subtitles and I've been enjoying it very much. Performances are great. Uh, the lead actor's name is Omar Sy. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's great, man. If you like James Bond and Mission Impossible and stuff like that, it's fantastic. All right, there's Lupin. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, Jeff Kanata, I want to hit this with one more thing you've been watching this week. Um, I uh, uh, Real quick, I'll just say I saw Pretend It's a City, which is the Fran Lebowitz documentary that was directed by uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, I'm a fan of Fran Lebowitz. I think she's charming and funny. Uh, but man, this is like poor timing for this thing to come out. <laughs> it's like, it's called, it's called pretend it's a city because she's constantly complaining about New York, people in New York, like not treating it like a city. And it's like, mm. yeah, we all have to pretend it's a city right now. We're in a pandemic. It's not a city. It's a series of people hiding in their homes, you know? So it, like all, it's basically her complaining the whole movie, uh, mm. the whole documentary in a, in a charming, funny way. You know, it's like a stand-up comic, you know, talking about hotel or, um, uh, airplane food you know it's like oh it's like a hotel it's like a comic talking about airplane food when it's it will kill all of us to go on an airplane you know it's that's the idea it's like yeah you know the food is not the problem right now <laughs> uh it's more the global pandemic so anyway uh just unfortunate timing for that to come out so uh, you enjoy you enjoyed it but I think it's good. It just felt like, man, I mean, that, I, it sounds incredibly unappealing what you're saying right now. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I can't recommend it right now because it's, it's, it's just this woman walking around New York city complaining about things in a charming way, you know, in a wry, funny way. She has wit and was and, it shot pre COVID? Like, like when she oh, goes, yes. to, yeah. Okay. Yes. So there's like tons of people everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's, it's yeah. her, it's her complaining about how we're, we're all crammed together and you're not moving out of the way. And it's like, well, no, nobody's it's fucking <laughs> COVID. You know, it's like that kind of shit. It's like, yeah. you know, pretend it's a city. I'm walking here. You know, it's like, no, you shouldn't be <laughs> stay in your home. You know, that's, that's, that's constantly what I was thinking when I was watching it. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you want me to stop there? I'm taking yeah, it think, by the uh, deletion of everything else. <laughs> we're running. We're running out of time. We got. We can stick some stuff in the after dark if you want. But um, uh, that is what we have been watching this week. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Oh, you've heard me talk about HelloFresh before. Why? Because I absolutely love it. It changed my life. And you know, I actually did one of my very favorite things earlier. This evening, uh, right before we started recording the podcast tonight, I did one of my favorite things. I got on the HelloFresh app and I started looking ahead, picking out the recipes that I want to have delivered to my door. That's pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and you get to pick them out. There's so many to choose from, huge variety. I'm looking ahead to February 17th. I picked out maple mustard chicken legs chicken and guac burrito bowls, and pork with peach thyme pan sauce. Now, let me ask you, dear listener, do you think that if I wasn't using HelloFresh, I would be making any of those recipes? The answer, no, of course not. 
I'd be making hot dogs and garbage. Hot dogs and garbage is what I feed my family when I don't have HelloFresh around. But now with HelloFresh, I get so many benefits. I get a much more varied menu. I don't have to stress out about meal planning or grocery store trips. I just get to enjoy cooking. I get to enjoy cooking. Oh, and I can get the dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh gives you 23 recipes for week, over 23 recipes per week, featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients. I never get bored. There's always something new and interesting. And I can do low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian, so many options, whatever we're feeling, whatever you might need. And every recipe is packed with fresh produce that's sourced directly from farmers. I don't have to worry about excess ingredients that I got from the store going bad in the fridge because it's all pre-measured. I only get exactly what I need. I cut down on my grocery bill and my food waste at the same time. I'm telling you, HelloFresh has completely transformed my life. We get our, our box on Wednesdays, and it is such a delight to just pull out those pre-measured bags, throw them in the fridge, and then decide as each night comes up what the family's going to get for dinner. I get to be the hero cooking dinner in about 30 minutes or less. Some of the uh, recipes, it's 10 or 20 minutes. It's amazing. Join this party. You're going to love it. You're going to love the variety you get in your menu. It's going to change your life like it did mine. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast10 and use code FilmCast10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast10, promo code FilmCast10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Holy moly, that's amazing. H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-0. Let's get to our review of One Night in Miami. You brothers, you could move mountains without lifting a finger. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. Who's the greatest? That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. All together, yeah. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face. Oh, my goodness. Cash. On, Cash? Why am I so pretty? Oh. <laughs> hey, congratulations, champ. I can get used to that. Uh, I was made in America. Land of the free home of the brave. This movement that we are in is called a struggle. Because we are fighting for our lives. This ain't about civil rights. They ain't giving black people what they really want. What's that? Hey, I was made in America. That's why I'm out here saving America. Power. Black power. I like the sound of that. That was from the trailer for One Night in Miami, the new film... Uh, directed by Regina King and written by Kemp Powers. It's available right now on Prime Video. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. Joining us this evening, she is a writer, author, and the managing editor at StarTrek.com Kendra James, welcome to the Slash Homecast. How are you doing tonight, Kendra? 
I'm great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks so much for being here today. So uh, before we dive into our review, typically we divide our reviews into a spoiler section and a non-spoiler section. Uh, but for this review, uh, given the the topic and the movie and the kind of plot of the movie, as it were, uh, I, I think we're just going to go full spoilers right from the top. Uh, I will say I, I would recommend you watch the movie. Like uh, it's a movie that I, I'd recommend you check it out and then come back and, and listen to our review. But uh, you should assume that we're going to be discussing details from throughout the film uh, right from the beginning of this review. So all that said, Kendra, got to ask you, what were your overall thoughts on One Night in Miami? Um, overall, I I really enjoyed this movie uh, more than I was expecting to. As soon as it went off, my immediate thought was, I cannot wait until I am vaccinated, until everyone is vaccinated. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. we can... So it, this was originally, it was originally a, a stage play written mm-hmm. written by the same person who wrote the film, who adapted it for film. And I cannot wait to see this on stage, uh, inevitably, when it's brought back to, to some Broadway or off-Broadway theater in New York. Ironically, it's the same reaction I have to every movie now where human beings are interacting <laughs> with each other in yeah. any way whatsoever. Yeah. You mean I when you come back to the I'm real vaccinated. world? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually more of like a constant thrum in the background. Like, I, yeah, I can't yeah. wait until vaccinated. I can't wait until vaccinated. Look, I can't wait until vaccinated. People, <laughs> people doing things with each other. Look. Well, listen, they're in a room most of the time. Like, they're pretty, pretty well quarantined, you know, most of the time. Yeah. They're in a quarantine. They're in a they quarantine. They're in a bubble. Yeah, yeah they have a bubble. In a bubble. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that while I was watching it too. And what was funny is this was shot. I mean, this was supposed to be released in theaters, I think, earlier, mm-hmm. earlier in 2020. And so this was shot before Corona was really a major thought in our minds. And it is the perfect A, it's a perfect quarantine pod within the movie. And then also it's one of the few movies that came out um around around sort of the holiday season that didn't or even this year that didn't feel like a throwaway. It felt like a full and complete movie that genuinely would have been released uh, on screen in its current iteration for a wide audience that people would have been proud of, which not every movie that has been shuffled to a streaming service has felt like. Mm. And are you talking about just kind of from a marketing perspective, right? That like some of the movies that have come out in streaming services have felt kind of like, oh, we're going to put it there because we have nothing better to do with it. Like I kind of want to dig dig deeper on what you're saying when you say what it felt like to have this released in this way. Oh, absolutely. Like some of it is the marketing, but then some of it is like, quite frankly, just the quality of some of the movies that have come out. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, they, like, I, I mean, I'll use the big one from from uh, Christmas as an example. I mean, Wonder Woman 84, I watched that and that did not feel like a movie that was ever meant to be seen in a theater. Um, you didn't even need so, that last in a theater see, part. Then... <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. So it was just nice to watch something that felt like a like it I was seeing it in its fully realized form <laughs> that people having to to create edit bays in their home in their homes uh that didn't affect the final product that I saw. Mm, I see. I see what you're saying. Uh well, I also want to call out that Kemp Powers by the way, the uh person who wrote the play and the screenplay uh for this film 
is also the co-director of Soul, the Pixar film that we discussed a couple uh-huh. weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so he is having probably one of the Great best year. years th- that anyone has ever had in Hollywood. I mean, that's like arguably two masterpieces. I don't even know if person. you need to say year. You could say month. <laughs> He's having a great month. <laughs> uh, I think month actually makes it sound not as good, Jeff. Oh, um, yeah, I so, guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> so good, good work there. But anyway, Kemp Powers, uh, this is what it is like to watch a star being born, in my opinion. Like, this guy is obviously very talented. Devinder Hardware, let me ask you, what did you think about One Night in Miami? Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. And this is a story I've kind of been waiting to see for a while because I heard about the play, right? And I've heard about this this mythical night where all these titans, you know, uh, were just hanging out in one spot for a while. And it's just kind of been eating away at me. Like, what what were they thinking? Like, what would that conversation be like? And I feel like this movie does a great job of, um, of just realizing that dream I have because... Uh, it's uh, it, it's a movie that's it, it's about you know a battle of ideals and all of these men who have achieved a certain amount of notoriety as you know famous black men in different ways in a really tumultuous time during the civil rights era like they they've made it in a way but not quite right because they're all kind of approaching it differently and they all have different philosophies about it and it's unclear even to us even today right that it's unclear like which is the better way to go about it. I think everything they've discussed in this film seems all the more relevant because it seems like nothing really has changed since then. And um, yeah, I I feel like that just made it resonate more for me. Watching this movie made me realize, you know, just the thought I've had as somebody who considers myself progressive and somebody who's, you know, anti-racist and trying to fight for equality for everybody. It is so hard to fight for a future, right? Because there are so many different, versions of what the future can be everybody has their own idea of it everybody has their own philosophy of how to get there and that makes it all the more difficult when you're basically fighting against this conservative traditional minded philosophy that is just one pure ideal of the past right it's multiple features versus one idea of the past and yeah i don't don't know that this movie just really brought that to mind so i thought it was fantastic love the actors all around too like um incredible eli gore incredible work but eli gory in particular as as uh you know cassius clay so much better than will smith so much better than will smith in ali and i like ali ali is like a really interesting fascinating movie it's not like a big crowd pleaser but i think he he goes for it and this is just like it is a perfect um, encapsulation of what uh, of like Muhammad Ali's vibe and his bravado. It's all here. Like I think everybody does a good job of really um, making these characters and making all these you know historical personalities feel alive and feel human too. I love Aldis Hodge. I love Leslie Oldham Jr. Uh, love them all. And Regina King, it is very great to see her, you know, really flexing her muscles. I, this has been a great couple of years for her. Um, but I, I want to see more of this from her, too. Yeah. Um, all right. Jeff Kanata. Uh, you know, it was just, I think, last week. Was it? La- I don't remember when. Yo, time, time is yeah. A couple weeks ago last <laughs> week when we were just last discussing uh, yeah. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we were debating whether or not uh, a movie that is based on a play uh-huh. needs to needs to uh convince you that it was not based on a play and i think we all mm-hmm. concluded no it does not need to convince you like it's fine if it's obvious that it's a play because um in many ways the act of filming it uh does change uh the construction of it in many ways so 
cu- very curious what you thought of One Night in Miami. Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of One Night in Miami is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh, you know, maybe we should explain to Kendra like what what you're doing here. <laughs> like, what is oh, this limerick Kendra. thing? Yeah, uh, I apologize. Uh, Dave has a certain set of demands uh, in order for okay. him to continue to do this show at all. Uh, it's a it's a list of one, and that <laughs> demand is we need to have a limerick every episode, or he walks. <laughs> it is it, it is written in blood on his mirror in the bathroom it is it's it's very intense Mm. and i it has fallen on me i don't want to do it i would never subject (laughs) the audience to that yeah but dave is a tyrant and he runs uh he runs this podcast with an iron fist so it is it is down to me to just hold this whole endeavor together with my limericks and uh so that's where we are it's a hell of a writer i'm excited it's been very nice now yeah no he's he's uh (laughs) he's very demanding very demanding Uh, All right, so here's my limerick for One Night in Miami. It's safe for you to assume this is content I like to consume. I'll always be gripped by a well-written script that's delivered all in one room. Nicely done, Jeff. That was delightful. And also, may I say, the delivery was... Yeah, particularly uh, great, right? Yeah, particularly great. Flawless. Flawless. Absolutely unrehearsed. Done in one take, as a play might be. (laughs) <laughs> so you brought up our uh, lengthy discussion last week about plays and i uh, i it's it's very interesting that that was sort of a setup for this discussion because uh i love this i am so mad at myself for not seeing this movie before we made our top 10 of the year because it would have been on my top 10 it probably would have been pretty high in my top 10 wow i think this nice. movie's phenomenal i think this movie's phenomenal it is so my jam I absolutely adore it. I think the performances, as Devendra mentioned, are stellar, particularly Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Holy mm-hmm. moly. Mm-hmm. I'm n- I don't know if he does his own singing or if he's lip syncing or, or but he, ugh, unbelievable. Uh, and there is, I mean, my favorite sequence in the whole movie is a monologue that he presents um, about black owned businesses and, and his, his contribution uh, to his culture through making money and it is so persuasive and powerful and eloquent and honestly this is what i love about plays right modern plays are expensive and hard to put on and if you write a modern play you're gonna need to use every actor that's in the play right there's no (laughs) two-line characters in a modern play right we can't afford that. You can't afford to have somebody step on and say a few lines and, and, and be done. I mean, maybe you can use a, an understudy to do that. It's very difficult, very unwieldy. You have <laughs> modern plays uh, are, are few characters and all of them are essential characters. And that is on display in this film where everybody gets a moment to shine. Everybody gets the spotlight on them. You get to see Jim Brown presenting his perspective in a completely different way than you see Malcolm X presenting his perspective. It, it is, it really does give equal weight to all of these characters in very different ways. And you see, you know, as, as, a, as a white person living in, you know, the 21st century, of course, it, as Devendra said, it is shocking and sad to see how relevant all of these discussions are 
still, but it is also, I think, interesting to note the responsibility and um, burden that all of these successful black men, even then, even in the 60s, felt. And it is still clear that that persists today that, that white people don't have to even worry about, right? There is this thing that happens even when you are successful, even when you have um, transcended any kind of, uh, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, barrier that may have been difficult to transcend uh, and you have actually made it, quote unquote, you know, you are you are a paragon of your field and yeah. you could be the you, best football player in the world. You, you know? still, yes, exactly. The best football yeah. player in the world, the best singer in the world, you know, the best uh, the best boxer in the world. And yet there is still this incredible burden that comes that that it must be wrestled with, must be reckoned with. And to see these characters do that, to d- deal with that and how it is still very pertinent today. And and the movie gives uh, the movie and the play give such equal weight to different sides of that argument of how I mean, the, it does not come down on any one side. Right. It is a wonderful exchange. It is. It is a debate of these ideas and priorities, and and we are left to sort through it ourselves as audience members, which you know, it's my favorite kind of drama, right? The kind of drama that raises questions and has you walking out of the theater or the, or in this case, the living room where my <laughs> Netflix was playing. Uh, Prime video. Thinking about Prime video, Jeff. Oh, Prime Video. Yeah. Oh, whoops. That's still my same 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 living room, Dave. Same living room. Uh, either way. Um, walking out of the experience and mulling those things over left to, you know, you're, you're, it's a provocative movie and uh, I'm provoked to think, which is my favorite thing to be provoked to do. I I think, I think these performances are fantastic. My only gripe, honestly, and this is directly what we are talking about last week. My only gripe is the first half hour of this movie exists to prove it's a movie. (laughs) <laughs> it, it like it doesn't need any of that stuff. It gives you those sweeping. It, yes, yes. Like that's that's kind of it's, what I was thinking, especially in their choice to recreate that one, the famous mm-hmm. photo. Yeah. Um, from after the the Liston match in Miami. Um, that I I had the feeling they were doing that only because they felt they had to. Because we got some budget. Said, yes. <laughs> we got budget, and we 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 got our hotel room. We got our four actors. What are we going to spend this money on? Let's you know. It, it really is. It does feel like well, in order for it to be a movie, we can't just start in the hotel room. We got to you know blow it out and make it feel grand. And I found found all that stuff to be completely superfluous. It was cool to kind of see a boxing match, I guess, but it, it, the movie didn't really start for me. I was I honestly was a, my mind was a little wandering during the first half hour of the movie, because we're not, there's no juice there. There's no, there's no stuff going on. It's it's just kind of set up. I I will just say not every scene is totally superfluous, right? Because the one with, uh, with Jim Brown, I think is a perfect setup of, Oh man, you were so great. I am praising you. We love white man. And then don't come in my house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a gut punch for sure. That that was a gut punch for sure. Actually, did you 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 felt that as a gut punch? That's interesting yeah. because as soon as they said Saint Simon's Island, oh yeah, they're waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure like how much you guys know about Saint Simon's. It's it's interesting because like my family mm-hmm. is from that Gullah area, mm-hmm. and so as soon as I saw that that title card come up, I was like, oh okay, this is. Yeah. I know where you, this you is see, going. You see the gorgeous <laughs> plantation house, and you're like, right. oh hmm. 
I know what's happening here. Um, yeah, I'm living right outside of Atlanta right now. So it's uh, oh. it's all stuff I'm learning about, you know? Oh. Yeah, that, yeah, that Bo Bridges, <laughs> that Bo Bridges, like, you're my best friend. I love you. I'll, I'd yep. do anything for you except let you Whatever set you foot need. in my house. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty brutal. Uh, but yeah, and then there's like a bunch of, you know, Michael Imperioli and like all these actors at the beginning. It's like, we got budget. <laughs> we, we can like flesh out this world a little bit. I just found oh, it all man. to be a little bit. I thought every one of those opening sequences had uh, the purpose of uh, giving you a little bit more understanding of each character with yes. the exception, yes. with the exception of Sam Cooke's whole thing. Like, I don't know what, uh-huh. what was the point of showing him in that hotel room with his, his woman in there? Like what, so they, they never returned me, to that. Yeah, go ahead. Tindra. There were, there were two, there were two things that I, I thought maybe that they were trying to hint at. And I, I don't know. But A, I think that that was there. There was a nod to the green book because it does come back later that his manager had to get Mm, that room for him. So I think that they did want to set up sort of that, like, even though Miami was a little bit of like a playground in the same way that L.A. was a little bit, it was still highly segregated in a way that L.A. was, but also maybe didn't seem so much to be on the surface. So I think they were trying to remind us that Miami is still in the South. And Mm -hmm, then second, mm -hmm. I think Leslie Odom Jr.'s real life wife was playing that character um yeah, so you gotta give her a scene act- yeah. yeah that might have yeah. just been like okay let's get her in there. i was in hamilton okay right <laughs> yeah uh okay no fair fair enough i i, I guess i, 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 su- I suggesting don't... that that scene was the it's got we got to have a limerick version for what one, <laughs> one it was leslie odom jr's version of a slice home guest limerick basically yeah. was that scene? i also I'll say what I did appreciate about that was that you saw that hotel, the I forget what it was called now, but then you also see the place where um, where Muhammad Ali is staying, and it's mm-hmm. definitely less nice, but you still see sort of the quality uh, of a hotel that a wealthy black person could afford, and then sort of in that rule of threes way, they take you to, the, to where um, Malcolm X is, and then so it just sort of sets up three different socioeconomic Right. Slash like uh, yeah. sort of settings that you can have. So I think that it was useful in that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all makes you know you've you've turned me around on the whole Sam <laughs> Cooke prologue, uh, Kendra. Well, so well done. Uh, I mean, it but, really that that scene alone, by the way, just demonstrates the set dressing of this movie, right? Because it is so like you are in the '60s, you are seeing these <laughs> colors. You don't really, we don't really get that kind of aquamarine in, uh, no. you know, home interiors anymore. And it's uh, it's beautiful. I kind of, I really dug it <laughs> all around. Yeah. So uh, I'll say I echo a lot of what y'all had to say about this film. I love this movie, and um, I, I, you know, Jeff, I think you put it really well, which is that. Um, it manages to engage in some really big ideas about these people's place in society while having the background of this friendship. And that makes it mm-hmm. really compelling and interesting. It makes it like it makes it feel like there's uh, stakes, even though ultimately, like there's no blue beam in sky. You know, there's no like uh, 
there's no like a uh, world ending thing uh, that's uh, from from an alien that's going to blow up the planet although, or anything. Although, although <laughs> I would love to see these four take on some aliens for man. sure, for sure. I Let's mean, I don't make that sequel. Um, I don't want to minimize you know the uh, the importance of the civil rights move or anything like that. I'm not, uh, but I don't think like I think this movie is very much about ideas because it it all takes place in one night. It's not like uh, it takes place over the course of the movement or, or you know like the, basically there's not that much plot in the film it's all just about like what is at stake between these four men and mm-hmm. i think that is uh that makes for really compelling uh watching especially considering uh how great all these actors are i think the the ideas of the movie that really resonated with me are basically uh and you again you all have touched on it the idea of these are all fairly successful people um you know that that are uh, have essentially got gotten successful uh in large part by producing entertainment that white people consume and what is Mm -hmm. it like to be black in an environment in which you are successful amongst white people what are the things that um, continue to hold them back what are the things uh where they are able to surpass those who oppress them uh and i i think it's just fascinating to reflect upon and certainly it's something that is very relevant you know it's it's uh unfortunate how relevant a lot of these ideas are still today uh and certainly over the course of last year so i thought it was great uh and just the the dramatic heights that it took me to uh i really appreciated but uh yeah that sir- scene uh that scene with uh sam cook uh and the, when the mic dies oh. and he has to yeah, I was probably we- I was one of the weeping. best scenes of the last year that I've seen. Like it's, weeping, uh, it's I was yeah. unbelievably it, yeah. stirring, beautiful, um, moving moment. Yeah, yeah. And what I loved about that was that it was a Sam Cooke scene, and you were just like just seeing how. Um, what like a magnetic figure he was but at the same time it was also so revealing for me about the malcolm x character or the way that Mm -hmm. they chose Mm -hmm. to portray that because you suddenly see i feel like he gets his his edit in a lot of movies and you mentioned dali and i kind of wish i had had the chance to go back and watch the van peebles uh performance just because prior to this I think for a lot of people and myself, Denzel Washington's Malcolm X is sort of my mm-hmm. my cultural touchstone uh, for that person. Um, and what I loved about this this person's performance, um, he's a British actor who I this was my first time seeing him in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Kingsley Benadir, whose name will yes. always confuse me. Always confused. <laughs> it's not Ben Kingsley. It's Adir. not Ben Kingsley. Right. <laughs> it's Kingsley Benadir. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he like he imbued such a sense of fun into Malcolm X that I have ne- I don't think I've yeah, ever yeah. really seen that yeah. portrayed. He was a, a twinkle nerd. in his eye, right? Yeah, yeah, right. and he was he was just like a kind of a big nerd, and I, I like a photo really nerd. Liked yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nerd, yeah. I, honestly, I think that guy deserves an Academy Award nomination. I mean, as much as I yeah. love Leslie Odom Jr., I mean, everybody's great in it, but I think Kingsley Benadire deserves a Best Actor nom. His performance as Malcolm X is truly amazing. He's fantastic in it. Yeah, he. It was just so striking to watch him react to seeing to seeing Sam Cooke perform because it's like the first time that he's really been portrayed as a person who would have had interests outside of the movement. Mm, Right, Um, and that was just so. That was really nice to see um, because Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially. 
yesterday it was Malcolm, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And a new what you'll see a lot of now is like people, and I think appropriately so, like to post pictures of him where he's just like in a pool, where he's just, you know, wearing sunglasses. He's just hanging out somewhere. And I think it's really important to just remember that these people were also humans who just enjoyed mm-hmm. things. And what the movement really came down to was yes rights but it's like it's rights so that we can just be human and enjoy things and enjoy Mm. these things that we naturally uh are drawn to just like everyone else and so i just i i thought that part of the performance was just very important and moving yeah it really humanizes that historical figure um in a way that Mm -hmm. few other films have done and uh, especially after you watch malcolm x right because i had just rewatched that recently and it's it's good it's very long, you know, it is an epic <laughs> film. And Denzel Washington is just like, he is a God in it, right? He doesn't feel human. He feels superhuman in a way yeah. that he is untouchable. Whereas this is just like, he's a nerdy photo guy. He he actually reminds me a lot of uh, a certain David Chen in college who was hopping around taking photos everywhere. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also part of it, I just also one ruining more. parties as well. That was nothing I was. Yeah. Gonna also say. ruining parties. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to just stay parties. in this room. It's so fun in my room. Yeah. Worst party yeah. ever. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Kendra. Oh no, I was I was gonna say I think one other thing that really helped was the way that Regina King directed it in that. Spike Lee, he loves to he loves a dolly. He loves a mm-hmm, moving camera. Mm-hmm. He loves to spin things around. And Regina King just let the camera sit on them. Um, yeah. And occasionally it would it would paint a gorgeous like there's there are frames of this movie that I would love to just like print off at Staples and hang frame and hang in my house. But the fact that she doesn't try to uh, use the camera to really uh, make them larger than life helps a lot. Yeah. I agree. And she and she shoots it like a play, right? She lets them act long mm-hmm. takes, a wi- um, establishing shots, you know, long, long um, wide shots of of actors acting. And I always appreciate that as well. Um, you know, another thing that occurs to me watching this movie, hearing hearing you all talk about this as well. It, it, this is something I was watching the um, uh, the James Baldwin documentary. Right. Um, I am not your yep. Negro, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, he mentions like so many of these civil rights figures like we are we are recording this just a day after martin luther king day um so many of these people did not reach the age of 40 before they were assassinated um uh martin luther king didn't reach the age of 40 neither did malcolm x i don't think uh and uh, neither did sam cook yeah Yeah. um uh, american society there's this like wide widespread trend in american society that like um african-american boys are seen as older which is like uh, creates uh, negative consequences from a criminal justice perspective. And uh, I, I do think like a movie like this shows, you know, Malcolm X is like a young dude who's just, uh, as you guys said, kind of a nerd, kind of like really into his analog cameras, you know. And and um, I, I do think there's value in that just because there's such a, a sort of tendency in society to see these people as kind of larger than life when in fact they're just as you all have put like normal uh humans normal like young men uh that nonetheless made like a really big difference in their time so anyway uh i found the movie valuable for that reason as well uh i mean these are all just like really young men who have like achieved more each of them have achieved more in their you know in the short lives at this point in the film than um you know many of us and so it's um 
it's a movie that I think does uh, reflect that uh, their their youth in addition to uh, their accomplishments. So, uh, anything else we want to say about this film? You know, Jeff, you pointed out like the the most powerful scene in the movie. To that that to me, by the way, kind of justified this being a movie right there. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? you don't get that on stage at all. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the Sam Cooke sure. scene with the yeah. with the acapella and everything like that. It's just incredible. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it, it chills. Yeah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. just like um, you could not get that. You you could not have like watched that in that way on stage, right? If it was right. if it was done as a stage play, so I was just like, oh, you justified it, movie. You justified it. <laughs> <laughs> you justified being a movie. Uh, I mean, I, I kid a little. I think it had justified being movie long before that, but uh, I really love that scene. Yeah, um, I, I do yeah. want to call out by the way that I think this movie does a great job of showing both the you know the strengths of each of their arguments, but also kind of the hypocrisy sometimes too. Because I I do think. You know, Malcolm X's takedown of Sam Cooke's music as just being like this washy populist garbage at times, you know. Oh, he had so, a point. so brutal when he puts the record so on. When he puts, he puts the record on, Bob Dylan, he's like, that's oh. not, that is not cool, man. Like when he put on the record <laughs> and it's just like, I love you, I love you. It's just like, yeah, man, yep. not not that's, cool. That's, that's just all your music for a while there, buddy. <laughs> right. uh, but also like it's, it's Malcolm X dealing with like the inherent hypocrisy of the Nation of Islam, right? Because that... Not an organization that was fully, uh, you know, uh, run great from the top. And they bring up a lot of the issues with, um, I, f- I forget the name of the leader now. Uh, Elijah um, Muhammad. And, like, Elijah Muhammad. The Honorable <laughs> Elijah Muhammad, yes. Who, in uh, in Ali, I think has a much different and much more, like, reverent, you know, position. Whereas here, it's like, uh, yeah, no, this guy is is just, like, kind of not, not a great person. He's the off-screen know? villain in this film, kind of. Um, in in many ways yeah yeah and it uh i just love that it kind of wrestles with that uh, it doesn't go into like jim brown too much because he actually did end up having a hollywood career but not not a big one you know it was just like he, he was in a couple movies nothing huge also um, not a great guy in his personal life because yes. I, <laughs> yes. I i'm not a football person so i had to like i was like is he the only one who was still alive and was shocked mm. to find out that he was but yeah not a not a great run for him oh boy <laughs> but I, I, I really I think especially a movie that's basically like the equivalent of a college dorm, you know, hangout session where you're just like, you know, talking with your friends, uh, throwing your philosophies around to actually engage with both the downsides and the, the positives of like what they were all thinking, especially when they were so notable in people we often think of in just purely reverent ways. I, I found that pretty, pretty compelling. Yeah. The one what, one other thought that I had while I was watching it was. Ironically, I used to listen to another podcast about uh, called Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what was I, the I was... premise of that podcast, by the way? Um, I can't tell. If you can uh, remind. Something, something about Denzel, I think. <laughs> Maybe his kid. I don't know. Um, but on, I remember uh, W. Kamau Bell, they, ha- they interviewed someone, I, I believe, from, from Black Lives Matter, and they talked about uh, going to college campuses and how they had at times hired the fruit of Islam, which are the the security guards. Uh, one of them is played mm-hmm. by Lance Reddick in, in one night. And so you can still, uh, you can hire them. And I had not been aware until I listened to that episode that people still, you could still hire them and that people did. But as they, they talked about their reasoning, um, which was, they will keep you safe. Basically, they are the one 
they were talking about how they are the one security team that they can really trust to keep them safe if they're doing, uh, mm. say, a comedy tour in the South. And so that's just something I've always had that in the back of my mind is something that I'm just interested in as a journalist. Um, and this really brought that back up uh, to top of mind. And I'm kind of interested now, especially post capital riots, especially just in the era that we're in right now, if that is a resurgence that we might see. Just throwing that yeah. out there. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk just briefly about the very last scene as well. Uh, I you have Leslie Odom Jr. in the movie, uh, and they have him perform um, several of Sam Cooke songs. and And why sh- why shouldn't they? Because uh, if you have someone that talented, you might as well use his talents. Uh, I just thought the last song that he sang, "A Change Is Gonna Come." Uh, widely regarded mm-hmm. as one of the greatest songs of all time uh, is just dynamite. I mean, that the song that yeah. the way he performs it, not only the musical performance but also the dramatic performance. Um, him like wiping away tears from his eyes as uh, as Malcolm uh, watches him on television. That being the very last shot of the film, uh, I thought was uh, was absolutely incredible, and to me felt like it was that character's way of reconciling his career with kind of the advice uh, that he the ideas that Malcolm had challenged with him uh, challenged him with that evening right um, sure. so yeah, of course I uh, anyway just wanted to give a shout out to that moment as well uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, another high point in and also movie. yeah go ahead a, a scene of that takes place during like on the Johnny Carson show and the movie is, mm-hmm. is never just like hey you're on the Johnny Carson show it's just yeah. <laughs> it's Sam Cooke just talking to guy. And he's like, "Hey, Johnny," and he sounds kind of like Johnny Carson, right? Like you gotta, you actually have to just know what's happening. It doesn't spell that out because what's more important is the song, the Johnny Carson. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. you bring up a good point, Devinder, which is that like, I don't feel like um, the movie necessarily fetishizes this time period, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of like, "Hey, look, look, it's a Johnny Carson show. Look, it's the, it's the thing from the time period," you know, like. And I feel like, you know, the, the the movie has Muhammad Ali and it shows him boxing, but like beyond that, it didn't feel like it drew that much attention to the time period. I mean, it's it's meticulously uh, production design and set dress and everything like that, but I just mean like, it didn't feel like it, it drew that much attention to the setting. Uh, uh, like yeah, it a, wasn't that 70s show. Yeah, it wasn't like that 70s show. I'm not saying it didn't have a sense of place and time. I'm just saying like mm-hmm. sometimes like movies can go a little over the top with it. And I didn't feel like mm-hmm. this one did. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think like and not to be just like so dark. I, I think that part of that they didn't have to because the conversations, as we've said, haven't changed. Um, so whether this yeah. was a meeting between these four or it was a meeting between a different four people in the 80s or the 90s or now, the conversations would be the same. It would just be switching out, uh, switching out a change is going to come for another song, mm, yeah. uh, which is sad, but also I, I think works to its advantage. Uh yeah, I mean, I I totally uh, hear what you're saying, and it, it, it's 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 sobering to reflect on. At the same time, you know, Kendra, you weren't here for our opening segment that we have not yet recorded yet, but um, but <laughs> I am curious. Like, uh, we are as we're recording this right now. It is the eve of the Trump administration, and I guess I'm just curious. Like, uh, the eve you, of the Biden administration. <laughs> 
or, or the the final evening, you know, the final yeah. evening when we're going to need to think of Donald Trump as president. And I guess I'm curious, like, uh, are you feeling any hope for the future? You know, uh, how, how are you feeling on this evening? Um, oh, God, that's a loaded question. Honestly, <laughs> here's the thing. The pardon list hasn't come out yet, so I don't have a firm answer. That's yeah. <laughs> Listen, Tiger I'm, King is safe. Tiger King well, is safe. So I'm, I watch a lot of reality TV, so I'm waiting on Tiger King and I'm waiting on a husband from Real White, from Real Housewives of New Jersey. So like, like I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> how I feel. I mean, I'm clearly clearly I, I, I feel we're going into a better period. Um, my student, I won't have to pay student loans hopefully until like September. My husband has been unemployed since March because there's a pandemic no one's doing anything about. So I'm obviously like hopeful. Uh, but what I will say is, especially after just the events of, of, of earlier this, this month, I, we are not out of the woods at all. And I, yeah, we're not out of the woods. And I think the fact that I could envision having this same conversation that was like going through this movie with a group of friends now just tells me how how far, how not far out of the woods we're, we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Well, I think that uh, mixed note... It's a great place to end. <laughs> Sorry it. about that, guys. No, no, I think it's it's <laughs> good. You know, we, we don't want to be like uh, naively optimistic or anything like that. You know, um, I agree. We're we're not of the woods. Like there's the forces that allowed the last four years to happen aren't going to vanish. But at the same time, there is some hope. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But uh, this has been. Uh, a delight, Kendra. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this movie. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, you want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet? Um, yes, totally. So you can follow me on Twitter at Kendra James with an underscore at the end. Uh, I'm not super there right now because I am working on my debut memoir, which is due soon. Um, I'm writing a book about what it was like to be black at a new england boarding school and uh the first oh african-american legacy to graduate from said boarding school wow awesome all right well, yeah well you'll have to uh, join us again after that's published so we can talk about it and, and help you promote it um if oh, you're, if you're you. open to it um but anyway uh thanks so much to kendra you can also check her out she's the uh i think you produced the star trek podcast right I do. I produce a podcast called uh, Star Trek, The Pod Directive. It's hosted by Annie Newsom and Paula Tompkins. Uh, we cover basically all the ways in which Star Trek connects to real life. So whether that's politics or global warming or technology or just space travel, we will talk about it. Um, if you want to hear more from me, I'm on, I want to say it's episode three. Uh, it's called Red Shirt Table Talk. Uh, so it's Four black women just sitting around talking about Star Trek, which is was delightful and something that I very, very rarely get to do. Awesome. Did you ever consider calling the podcast Star Trek Stars and Celebrities? What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Bojack no, Horseman gonna, reference for you guys. I'm going to float there. that for season two. Definitely <laughs> tell Paul F. Tompkins that. I'm sure he doesn't get enough Bojack jokes on a daily basis. <laughs> Uh, anyway. What about Leonard Nimoy is the greatest actor who ever lived? <laughs> I mean, we could throw in director, too. We could do a whole podcast. Yeah. Mm. One minute on uh, Two Men and a Baby. Or <laughs> Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. 
You can find more episodes of this podcast, the Slash Filmcast, at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song was written by Adam Warrock. Our spoiler bumper was brought to you by Kyle Hillinger. Check him out on YouTube. Our uh, weekly plugs music is brought to you by Noah Ross. Uh, this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week on this podcast, we are going to be talking about News of the World, the new Paul Greengrass film starring uh, Tom Hanks. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. Not the remake e- of The Postman, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. N- not excited to spend $20 to rent the movie. <laughs> <laughs> still, still sticks Good in my time. craw. Good yeah. time to mention the Patreon, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash film podcast where you can support the show. But but no, I mean, because of the Patreon, I can't complain about it. But I'm also going to complain a little bit, you know, because yeah. uh, not because I, I don't like spending money for the podcast, but just because, you know, uh, if I wait a month, I can own it for $20. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure people aren't tired at all of me mentioning this all the time. Anyway. Thanks so much uh, for listening to this episode. Our, our, our After Dark is going to be about background, maybe a couple of other things, uh, and you can listen to that on patreon.com slash filmpodcast. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, 